Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Our official six-month anniversary of the Total Bees Show, to be honest, if I'm honest with you all for listening, um, I didn't think we were going to make six months. There was a point in time, i got to be honest, where I thought, meh, maybe I've had my fill of this podcast. Yeah. But... Here we are, episode 26, which means 26 weeks, which is one half of a year, which is six months. Chris, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. you for putting up with me. This is officially long-term relationship territory. I know. This is vacations together. This is uh, what I want goes, because anytime I've been in a relationship that long, I always start imposing some will. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is where we start to have a rocky road too, pal. Uh, we this It wasn't rocky before this? Well, I, I've started to call you Dr. Luther Jr. I, I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I heard that. Um, and you are the biggest AEW fan ever. I heard Tony Khan was having a meet and greet, and I've heard that you plan to attend. I, I do. Yes. I'm going to attend. I'm gonna trying get to get a, a job there right Going to get a picture with him, going to get a, an autograph. Tony, that, if you're listening, uh, I'm available. Yeah, if he doesn't make it to the actual physical meet and greet, could you just send a picture to Dr. Luther Jr.? AKA Chris Maxwell and, or producer Chris, he prefers, he doesn't like having a last name. Um, but he would like to get a picture of you that says to my number one AEW fan, cause Chris is the biggest AEW fan I know. And that would be great. Thank you, Mr. Tony Khan. Thank worst, you. Worst booker of the year. Not the best. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Let's talk about Davy boy Smith jr. Yeah, that was an Awesome interview. Awesome interview. He imitated his uncle Brett at talking about Jerry, the King Lawler. He, he was very generous with his time. Good luck to him when he makes his debut with CWE in Saskatchewan. Thanks to Danny Duggan for putting that together. Greg Gagne, former guest yep. of the show. And he was like an uncle to us. In he fact, I, I think of him as uncle Greg. He was on tales from the territories that show that the rock is producing. That's right. With Ken Patera. Hate to br- spoiler alert. I did want Ken Patera to be a guest on this podcast. Um, Not anymore. No, I still do, but okay. it's probably he's a TV star now. It's going to be a little harder to get him, you know. Yeah, everyone's yeah. going to be trying. Um, but Gr- Greg was great on there, and he talked about AWA, talked about Mad Dog Vashon, stories that I tried to avoid going to in his interview because there was a reason why I avoided the story. He's told them a lot before and people have heard them. So I, when I had him, when we had him on the show, I wanted to hear about if in 87, Kurt Henning and the, and the midnight rockers could have been hot enough to turn the AWA around. He said no. And he blamed Vince for everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great to see guests from our show really like, you know, that's just, happening. That yeah. seems to be happening. Like, like you, you mentioned Greg Gagne and, and, and the tales from the territory. That's Vance, Nevada. Vance, Nevada has been getting shut. Jim Cornette talked about him for 45 minutes. Now I hate to tell you what happened when I listened to that. I almost, you know, I've got four jobs. I mean, he, Vance, Nevada almost got me fired because I'm going to tell that story. Sorry, Chris. I know you told me to stay away from it. So Jim Cornette talks about Vance, Nevada for 45 minutes. I'm working a late night shift doing some surveillance and I guess I don't know why it wasn't boring or anything, but I, 
kind of dozed off and the client caught me. <laughs> Got tired of looking through curtains? Uh, no, it wasn't curtains. I'm in a car looking at something. It's dark. Nothing's happening. I dozed off. Maybe the subject of Vance Nevada. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to blame him. Then I'm driving home and a deer hits the side of my vehicle. And I have to assume that deer was sent by a local wrestler that's tired of me talking about bad promos. Um, the, deer, I, the deer was wearing a cowboy hat. Am I paranoid? Thank God it didn't have antlers. It yeah. would have went through my passenger side window. Um, so it's been it's been a hell of a week. Um, really has. How are you doing? Uh, you know what? I'm fantastic. Good week. No character builder, Chris, this week. I'm in a good mood. I'm happy and I'm ready to rock and roll. I am in a wonderful mood. I'm excited about this uh, interview we've got coming up a bit later. Yeah, we're not going to go there yet. How about Hangman Adam Page? The guy, and you know what? I should not say anything bad about him uh, on a week where he gets hurt. But I've said he is not a top guy, although AEW right now, they're pushing guys that shouldn't be top guys. He's hurt pretty bad. A concussion, I understand. Uh, looked horri- uh, looked terrific. Um, the thing is, right now, I've noticed AEW has a schedule where they're running Wednesday nights, live TV, and do they run anything else in a week other than at pay-per-view weeks? They do dark, I guess, but that's the same night. They film that the same Yeah, it's night. all one show. Yeah, no, I don't think they have anything okay, so separately. Going back to when I promoted TRC or PCW, weekly bar show, um, every Thursday night at the lid, at the stratosphere, I can't remember the address, Pemina highway, Winnipeg, yep. buy your tickets, $5. We won't be there, but go Do get it. your ticket. Anyway, we ran every week and I didn't have, I don't remember injuries that bad. And we were all green. Like it was green talent. I, I've talked a lot about this actually, specifically with the, to Adam, me? no, not with you. The, the Adam Page thing today, a uh, friend of the show, Travis, who had a question on last week. Uh, he said, what happened there with Paige? And I'd watched the clips, uh, clip a couple times. Is this a Mary Brown's mailbag? No. Okay. No, no. Well, be careful when you say it, questions. I think you're going to the wrong segment. Here. No, he, ju- he just, just a friend, we text back and forth about this stuff. And he said, what happened there with Adam Page? And basically he he did what was what some people call inside out. That's where you get hit and you kind of, looks like you've been turned inside out. They'll say, oh my God. He, but he, he he spiked his head in the in the twist. And I, and I said, it was unnecessary to do that inside out at that point in the match, especially with that blow, because it was just, it was a, it was a lariat, but it wasn't like, it wasn't Stan Hansen. It was John Moxley giving him a lariat. A crisp, hard back bump would have been, would have done just fine. And it just kind of goes to what I've said a couple times to different people, including G's Wee's, uh, about too much happening in AEW, them doing too much. Take a crisp back bump. You don't always have to do, you don't always have to go top shelf with everything. Okay, so that's not what's happening that's causing these injuries, though. Um, like CM Punk, I don't think he was going way above or when he got hurt recently. You can't compare CM Punk to Adam Page, first off. Okay, hold ten, it. Ten years difference. We're talking about age. injuries yeah. that are happening. They're running weekly. I'm comparing it to 2001 PCW. And what I'm saying is, in 2001, we didn't have that many injuries. We were really in a lot of cases, a green roster working in a bar show, drinking before matches and guys weren't getting hurt. They were getting hurt, but not to this level. Why is AEW's guys falling like flies? You say they could be doing too much. I don't think that's what is all the, in, in Punk's case, it wasn't that. No, not with Punk. But what like, about Omega's, Omega's case was wear and tear over time, t- I think. Taking bumps on the apron. That's a big thing with AEW. You mean outside the ropes? Yeah, outside the ropes on the apron of the ring. Gotcha. That's That's a big, big one. Adam Page, for example, does moonsaults from the top rope to the outside mm-hmm. on a TV match. That means nothing. 
that that type of stuff. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. You're absolutely right, actually. I'm not going to argue with you, Dr. Luther Jr. I'm going to say you are right. What's happening here is in nothing segments that aren't advancing story dramatically. Yeah. Like, They're save that stuff far. for pay-per-view, where if you get hurt, the company, it, it, it's a wow moment. They're doing it on TV way too much and every segment, and maybe that's part of it. Either way... It is a culture situation that's causing these injuries. Yes. Right? It's not like pro sports where a hockey team has four injuries. They play the game the exact same way as every other team. They're just getting the injury bug by fluke. There is probably a case where they need to smarten up and and be a little tighter and, and do a little in the ring, do a little bit more... Um, develop the story of the hatred and not so much the wow moves to tell your story and get over. That's what's happening in AEW. Their injury bug is still really dramatically high and they're going to have to fix that because guys are going to, you, you need your top guys. Now, Adam page is not a top guy. Well, he's not really a top guy. I've got another conspiracy theory for you, by oh, the way. Gosh. So Kenny Omega is not wrestling right now. Mm-hmm. He's on supposed suspension. He's working on the a- uh, AEW video game. Oh, that's what's going on. Okay, and but he's suspended. He's suspended. Yes, but he's a vice president, still doing stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, he's still do, he's still working on yeah. the game. From what I, I believe heard. he's still hurt, and this is an opportunity for him to. I agree. And and CM Punk just happens to be hurt and supposedly suspended. And some unconfirmed reports are they've negotiated his release, but that they didn't announce it. They haven't announced it. Uh, I agree, though, with with the Kenny Omega still being hurt. I thought that when I saw him. So there are no actual. In that show. There is no actual problems right now. If this is a giant work, they have a lot of time here because they're nursing some injuries. There's a there's a benefit to this supposed big conflict. Yeah, like we, if we're going to go along with that. Yeah, you're right. There's definitely. That it's a work. Yeah, if we're going to go along with that just for the sake of argument. You're right, especially the guys, Young Bucks, because they wrestle that style that I was just talking about where they go all out with everything and everything is a triple sow cow off the top rope. And so maybe they're... Banged up too. Banged up too. Okay, so also imagine that all those guys are smart enough to realize that going off TV for a period of time, although Omega had just been off for a long time, going off TV and then coming back in November when the ratings matter the most after the baseball playoffs, there's a value to that. Sure. Okay. So now you can see all the value. I talked about this at the end of last week's show. There is a lot more value to this all being a work. It's still not a work, but I'm going along with your, your train of thoughts. How can you say it's not a work? It's, it's not, and I will go oh, because they won't tell you it's a work. Uh, no, I'll the gladly... whole point of wrestling is it's a kayfabe. Yeah, you give them so little credit and so much credit at the same time. How can I give? I'm giving well, them one credit. second. You you say Tony Khan is the worst booker of the year, and I don't think and, he thought of this. And if he's pulling this off, then there is an argument that he's the best. I see through it, and I don't think he came up with it. I think somebody else came up with it, and he is going with it. Okay, all right. I'm the only guy saying this. You are. And I love it because even if I'm wrong, I still make sense when I talk. And this is beautiful because there is nothing, they're losing nothing by those guys sitting on the sidelines, except people are sitting there eating it up. And when those guys come back and it starts an angle, they're like, I know this was a shoot. This is going to be amazing. Even though all those guys are on the same page and you guys are getting worked. And I mean, you guys, Dr. Luther Jr. So I, I'm telling you right now, and I'm not going to compare this to the JFK assassination again, 
but this is a work. They are working together to work the people, which is what they should be doing. And it's wonderful. And if Tony Khan thought of it, great, great on him. And hopefully they can execute it the way that they have it in their, in their minds. I am not paranoid when I say this. I am just not being worked like the rest of you. You sound paranoid, but, but we'll go with it. I'm good with it. I don't I, sound I th- paranoid. I think, you, I think you laid out a, a very reasonable... There, well, what, the, what the motivation for everyone to be, let's get this, let, guys, baseball playoffs are going to affect us. Let's all take five big chips off the table. And that way we can come back real hot after baseball playoffs in November when ratings really count. I'm right. There you go. The, the longer this drags on the more people are going to come over to your side though, I think like with, well, cause it doesn't make with, sense with if pun- it's, if it's a shoot, they, there would be resolution. You would not keep the young bucks off TV. Is Chris Daniels still he, suspended? He, here's the deal. This is all, you know, all conjecture and based on what I've read on dirt sheets and stuff like that. Yeah. But see, the, that's the difference. I'm instinctive. You're a dirt sheet reader. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting some information. You're going off what's in your head. Um, so <laughs> God, I hope I'm right. <laughs> yeah. You really do. Don't you? Okay. So, What's tying it up is supposedly there's some legal action going on. Yeah, so, but that doesn't tie it up. How does that not tie it up? Okay, so it's, if it's this a, was it's pro, a, it's a it's a court case. If okay, if this was pro sports, okay, if if some butts were candy okay. nuts, we'd all Antonio have a Merry Brown. Is that his name, Antonio Brown? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Randy Moss back in the day. Sure, right? that's good. Okay, go with that. If a if a player who's a very talented player becomes a negative element. What they do is they isolate that player, they get him out of the situation, and then the, even if there's a locker room ar- argument or physical altercation, Evander Kane in the NHL, gets, he gets, the team gets him out, right? It, so CM Punk, if it's a legal action, they have to pay out his contract. There you go. It depends who's bringing the legal action. Okay. If, if, it's the, if it's one of the Bucks, for example, who got hit, one of them got hit with a chair or somebody got hit with chair somebody got punched allegedly allegedly if it's if it's punk bringing the legal action trying to say hey pay me out pay me out then that's why it could drag on no but tony khan would just pay him out and get on with it why would you keep why would you keep three vital assets off tv what do you or would you try to get to pay him the least amount possible punk Uh, probably wants his full contract so tony khan is probably like Listen, we'll we'll prorate what we're going to pay you. Okay. We'll give you this amount. My last thought on this, and okay. don't make a counterpoint because I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> here's the situation. If CM Punk is is forcing legal action, unless he's planning to sue the Bucks and Omega personally, and they're now saying, we're not coming back, but that's not what's being reported. They're suspended. So Tony Khan, what is the liability for Tony Khan? He created a hostile, toxic work environment. That would be the lawsuit. Yep. And... CM Punk wants to be paid out. Maybe he wants to be paid out one extra year on the contract because he would have stayed longer. Maybe that's the argument, right? When somebody gets terminated from a job they like, they say, hey, wrongful termination, and I want term on top of what I would, right? But there was a contract. He's probably only entitled to what the term of the contract was. So Tony Khan realizes to get rid of the cancer, if that's the the alleged, that's the, the narrative, he would have to pay him out to get rid of him anyway. None of this makes sense. I just gave you something that makes sense. They're off TV because of the baseball playoffs. They're going to come back in November when ratings matter, and then they're going to they're going to lead to the big sh- the big worked angle, and you all are going to be like, "This is amazing!" And I'm going to be like, uh-huh. "I look forward to you being wrong." I, I but, think they'll all be back, but Punk. I think Punk will be gone. Well, then how come it's taking so long? 
Again, legal action takes time. You are court cases, crazy. my friend. You are crazy. All right, All right. Coming up on the show, we are going to interview the Cloud Nine heavyweight champion, Tommy Lee Curtis, the jacked Jesus. We're going to find out what's going on down in Minot, North Dakota, why this company is drawing some pretty great numbers. And um, we also have the Mary Brown's mailbag later on, where I'm going to answer some tough questions. And uh, with my analytical thinking and, and my... Um, ability to be instinctive uh and dr luther jr over there producer chris is going to disagree just so that we have some friction on our six-month anniversary exactly this episode of the total bees cheese show is powered by firstrow.ca canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards autographs from your favorites action figures and of course wrestling collectibles galore as a loyal Total Bee Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESSHEES. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z-S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. The Total Bee She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bee She's Show on Twitter at Total B She's, on Instagram at Total B She's, or search us on Facebook, Total B She's. On the Total Bees She's show, we always like to look for people to come on as guests who've done something that stands out. Usually it's standing out for excellence. This guy is no no difference. Um, he is the Cloud Nine heavyweight champion. He's a Manitoba boy, small town guy. Him and I have a certain kinship. Uh, he is the Jack Jesus, Tommy Lee Curtis, and I like having him on this show for a lot of different reasons, and we'll talk about that in the interview. But one of the big things is I really like what Cloud Nine Wrestling is doing in Minot. How are you doing, Tommy? Thanks for coming on the show. Mies Dees, it's good to hear from you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Mies Dees, you're the first person to call me that on the show, which is funny well, because that it fits the theme of the show, so I appreciate that. Well, there you go. How is your career going? You're you're on top of the world right now as the Cloud Nine heavyweight champion. Is that of the world or is that of the town? Well, actually, yes. It is the Cloud Nine heavyweight championship when somebody else holds it. But I have made that belt into the Cloud9 World Heavyweight Champion because I have been defending it in Canada and the United States. Really? We should get yes. we should get you uh, booked in someplace like um, I don't know what's a good Brazil Brazil yeah yeah maybe Ethi- maybe Ethiopia so you can really make it a world champion Puerto Rico I was thinking Ecuador Ecuador is a good spot yeah. I've heard the bus- I would be a good Ecuador champion yes I I've heard the business is really getting hot in Ecuador too same with Honduras. Well- <laughs> well, it will be when I get there. There you go. So tell me about Cloud9 Wrestling, because I think Manitoba fans don't realize, and Canadian fans don't realize, that uh, Minot is a town that's not that far into the United States, and right now Cloud9 Wrestling is really owning it, drawing some really good attendances in a town that's not that huge. So how is how is the business working for Cloud9? Well, Cloud9 is kind of special in that regard, because uh, Minot, it's, about two hours away from me, whereas Winnipeg's about three. 
So it's about the closest show that I can get to right now. And I think the population is only about 50,000, but we steadily draw 250, 300 people, you know? And I think a lot of that has to do with just the, the unique roster that we have because we bring in guys from Nebraska. Uh, we bring in guys from Minnesota. We've got our Winnipeg crew, Mentolo, AJ Sanchez, myself. Um, you just can't really get that blend of guys from anywhere else. So when they all come together, it just makes something very special. It's a melting pot. How far are guys coming? You're go- you're going two hours. The guys from Winnipeg are doing four or five. How far are the Minnesota guys coming f- to make those shows? Minnesota guys, I believe that's a close to seven, eight hour drive. And then uh, the Nebraska guys are ten plus, maybe even twelve. Wow, that's commitment. So, and, and that, that's commitment. It, it is commitment. And I I used to make those long drives all the time when I was younger, and I. I don't really have it in me anymore. So obviously they believe in what we're doing, you know? Yeah. So you started in 2009, right? As a student of the Lance Storm Wrestling Academy. How was that for you? Well, yeah, that's a bit of a uh, longer answer than that because I actually trained in 2006. Oh, wow. And then I made my debut in 2007. Uh, but I was kind of the victim of poor timing because by that time Lance had pumped out a bunch of students and there wasn't really much room on the Alberta scene where I broke in. Mm -hmm. So I had to be a ref for a little while and do kind of squig RCWs. He was just barely breaking out of being a backyard promotion at the time. So, you know, I had to cut (laughs) my teeth and stuff like that. Um, but the Alberta scene, it really dried up around 2009, and then uh, I was kind of forced to move home, and then that's when the Manitoba scene was really booming. So I would say that my career really didn't start until 2009, even though it started a couple of years early. Yeah, with an outlaw mud show like Squig and Real real Canadian Wrestling. You said he was just, <laughs> yeah. you, I think you described it as he was just a notch above backyard in 2006. Is he now a mile ahead of being a backyard guy? Because oh, I always hear... Oh, he's, I, he's, come, he's come so far. He's He is one of the top promoters in Canada. Um, and I feel like it was when... Uh, guys like myself, Danny, Metal all came on board. That's when he kind of made that transition from not using the untrained backyard guys to kind of being a legitimate promotion. And then, yeah, he's just, he's still going to this day strong. Yeah, it's amazing. He runs twice a week in Edmonton and Calgary, which I think is a three-hour drive, and he's trying to build both towns. I I shouldn't be so dismissive to his efforts because I really like Stephen, the promoter. And I was just making a joke when I said, is he he come miles from being a backyard company? But um, so you come to Manitoba 2009 and you get hooked up with the CWE. And, uh, and, and then you start turning some heads. How did that go? Um, well, yeah, I'll just backtrack a little bit. You asked about being trained by Lance. That was, uh, like the best training you could get. And I'm very grateful to have gone there. But the problem with that is once you graduate from there, you kind of just cast off and you have no idea of what you're doing or how to get booked or I guess proper etiquette, like you know how a lot of the storm students do come across. I'm sure I didn't make the best impression either. But uh, you actually almost do have a bit of a leg up if you're trained by, like, say, the WFX Wrestling School, and then 
you work your way up and you get that opportunity and you have someone guiding you and stuff like that. Whereas if you go to a school and then just get sent off as a freelancer, you're, you don't have a clue, you know? That's a great so. point actually. Cause AJ Sanchez is really doing his best, not only to train his students, but to help introduce them to the business and promoters and kind of looks out for them. And I, and unfortunately with Lance, I think he was a, a factory of wrestling talent in the mid two thousands. So he was just, okay, I'm going to make you, I'm going to teach you everything you might need to know to start your career. And then how much could he actually exert influence? Right. And that's, that's exactly it. There's, there's benefits of both. You definitely can benefit by having a guy like AJ kind of guiding you and molding you and giving you direction. But then you can also benefit from having that, the best training that you can get in Canada from Lance, you know? So Yeah. Who else was in your class with Lance? Oh, there was a, I think me and a guy named, uh, we called him Frenchy, Tom Marufa. He was Sylvester Lafort in NXT. Okay. And then I'm not sure what, I think he's back under Tom Larufa now. Um, and I believe him and I are the only ones still wrestling from our class. And then uh, Matthias Wild, who was Tyler Breeze, was the class after me. Okay, yeah, Tyler Breeze is still, I think he's going to start doing stuff again. He hasn't done independent since he got released by WWE. Um, he's got a school too. Does he? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he had a, he's had a pretty good career. Who, who else was in the class after you? Um, you know, I don't really know because I, after training, I came back home for a little bit until my boots finally came in from high spots, which took forever. And then I headed back out there. And yeah, I think by that time there was already two more classes that were pumped out. And like I said, all the spots were kind of full. I kind of missed the boat on that opportunity. Okay, so how did that go? So when Lance would take a class on, he would focus solely on that class or would he like in the morning work with one class and then in the afternoon work with another and kind of have it like um, the morning class might be six months in and then he starts the next class or was was it just one class at a time? It was just one class at a time. They were three-month classes. Uh, I believe it was Monday to Friday, like three or four hours a day. So... Like most people do train for one or two years, but you know, they're only training twice a week, something like that. Like this was a full time schedule, but it's still like, as you say, a factor, he's pumping these kids out as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So, and how is your body able to put up with five days a week of training? Cause that's one of the biggest things that you learn in wrestling school is to condition yourself for what you're going to be um, doing in matches like you, so every day you would be doing something that would exert on your body. How did your body not get tired or, or injured for instance? Well, it, it, it's kind of like, I almost forget it now because it was so long ago, but I, I do remember your ribs would be bruised from hitting the ropes and stuff like that. And you, your head would just be splitting from taking all of the bumps and, it was very demanding, but I think you have the benefit of youth on your side. Whereas now I think I'm in far greater pain every single day than I was training five days a week. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay. So then you finish training, you start in the Alberta wrestling scene. It's unfulfilling for you. You move home to Manitoba and you get hooked up with Danny Duggan and the fledgling CWE in 2009. Was that a big career change for you? It was like I kind of mentioned that I don't really consider my career starting till that point. And, uh, I, I did come around 
kind of the perfect time for that because Danny was running some very big successful shows. He had just started touring. Um, I believe this was the time you were starting up WFX, if not shortly thereafter. Um, yeah, Manitoba was just a really good place. Uh, Steel Town Pro Wrestling, Rob Stardom, he gave me a good uh, start there as well. So, yeah, my career really kicked off when I moved back home. Yeah, I remember meeting you when I was running WFX. And uh, I remember... You made an impression. I, I found it fun to joke around with you a lot. And and I wasn't sure, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure about you, but I think you developed a character as your hair grew out and your confidence grew at the same time and you cut, your shoulders got wider. You became more of a professional wrestler after 2010. Because I, I always shake my, I always am really amazed at your commitment level from where I met you in 2009 and by 2012, it was night and day. You had become a true professional wrestler. Oh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. I didn't uh, realize that uh, I needed your acceptance until I got it. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Okay. Um, but it, sorry, but if I look back at that time, like, yeah, I was kind. I I came off from a bad start. I was maybe a little out of shape. My hair wasn't quite grown out yet. I didn't have the right look. The best the best experience, all that stuff. So I knew I wasn't, in hindsight, I know I wasn't ready for anything like a WFX level. But at the same time, you said that uh, Adam Knight was going to be the biggest star you ever had if you did the small package gimmick with him, right? Yes. Yes, I uh, did. That, that, that is indeed false because do you remember what Eugene's uh, pitch for me was to you? Oh, I'm going to need some refresher here. What did okay. Eugene, okay. our friend of the show, <laughs> Eugene, tell you? What was the pitch to me okay. for you? Eugene, because, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't quite there, but everyone kind of liked me or whatever. So Eugene told me his pitch to you and what it was. Was here's young Tommy Lee Curtis, and he he wants to make that big debut, and he says, "Hi, I'm Tommy Lee Curtis, and in four weeks I'll be making my big WFX debut next week." I, I'm going to be making my big debut in three weeks, two weeks, one week. All of a sudden, here's here's Tommy Lee Curtis's big debut. There's the music, the lights, all that. He comes out and someone attacks him from behind, beats the total shit out of him, leaves him laying. Next week on TV, he's in the hospital bed. He says, yeah, you know, I got beat up pretty bad, but the doctor has some good news for me. In four weeks, I'm going to be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I would have been the biggest star in WFX if that had to happen. Do you know how much TV time he was? He that would be dedicating to you a vignette every single week. That would have that would have made you a star because if exactly. you, if you go to YouTube.com and you look at uh, the Total Bishi's channel, there's 13 episodes of of WFX. Now just imagine what you just described, and people would have been like, "We can't wait to see this guy." Like, talk about a buildup. That's that's great. I I unfortunately don't remember. Dinsmore was act, Eugene was actually really good though. Like he always would take guys that were like peripheral in the locker room that weren't getting a lot like that weren't getting a lot of uh, creative energy, and he'd say, "Take a look at that guy. We could do this with him. Take a look at that guy." And I I, I can imagine that conversation, and it, that pitch probably was made. And I I think I looked and I I didn't give it enough thought, but that that would have worked and that would have actually been better than the dreaded small package. Well, dreaded small package would have been real good. So, (laughs) so take us from 2012. I know you and Danny started traveling quite a lot and, and trying to um, 
just basically get noticed by showing up on shows. You'd go how how far? Twelve hours, fifteen hours for bookings? Oh, up to sixteen hours to Edmonton every single month, and uh, yeah, uh, for um, I oh, we we did a tour in Newfoundland uh, with Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Scott Steiner, Rhino, uh, Cole Cabana was also on that. That was a really good experience. We basically went anywhere and everywhere for as long as we could. And um, did you drive to the Maritimes or did you fly? Uh, we flew to the Maritimes. Yeah, yeah, smart, much smarter. The amount of time you would have been down for just driving, you would have missed a lot of bookings that you could have made up for by flying. Uh, how well, were, how Danny's so Andy, I think he did want to drive, but I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, Danny didn't care how long the trip was back then. He wanted to drive. And why doesn't he ever rent cars? Like, sorry to sidebar, but Danny doesn't believe in renting a car. He'll always put the miles on his own vehicle. What is with that? I, I don't know. Like I said, he's just very Indian. He's got towns to make, brother. Yeah, towns to make. And he could, in the amount of money he, and I'm sorry, we're sidetracking about dyna, uh, dynamite, Dan, hotshot Danny Duggan. <laughs> and... The thing about him is he the amount of wear and tear and maintenance he has to do on his vehicle from taking his own vehicle, he could make that back just by renting the car. Like he'll he'll take his own car everywhere. I've never understood that. Hopefully he's listening and you'll send me a message to tell me why he's doing that. Um what did you find? What did you, so in the WFX locker room you had exposure to guys like Billy Gunn and and Bob Holly, and then you're talking about Scott Steiner and guys like that. How did you find that it was to get along with those guys? Well, um, well, they were all <clears throat> easy to get along with, but something that I've noticed, and maybe you can relate to this, um, I find that guys that were always kind of mid-level, mid-card talents, when you meet up with them, they end up being the coolest, nicest, just like your instant brothers with them. Whereas, you know, some of the bigger stars, they can't even be bothered to talk to you type of a deal. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's just true. Like you look at like Eugene, Matt Stryker, Road Dog, like those guys were all just the coolest people that you could ever meet. And like, they could have the biggest ego ever, but no, they just treated you like equals, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing was, you didn't mention Kevin Thorne, who was a mid-carter, and he could be a royal pain in my ass. Um, but, like, take Gangrel, for instance, who probably didn't get half the push he deserved. The coolest guy I've ever met in, yeah. the, in the business. Um, and then, at the same time, as a booker, Lex Luger used to drive me in... I only dealt with him one, well once, and then he got held up at the border the second time. He used to drive me insane. He would call me on the phone, sorry to sidetrack, but he would call me on the phone and he would go into third person and he'd say, now, now this isn't Lex Luger talking to you. This is Lawrence Fool. So we have to be on the same page here. <laughs> I would be just giggling away. Okay, you're the same guy. Like if you tell me it's Lex Luger talking to me and we're taking care of business, it's the same as if Lawrence Fool talks to me, but it, it was, it was wonderful. And Buff Bagwell used to, he was, him and I had a great relationship too, but he, he could be a little bit taxing in terms of what his requirements were, but not in a bad way it wasn't like he'd say like i'm not coming if i don't get this it would just be hey do you think you could do this for me could you do that and it's like yes yes i can make sure can you make sure i got a, a 12 of coors light when i land yeah as long as i can have three or four of them yeah no problem so that's what i found um so you're traveling the country with danny mostly with danny and whoever else was traveling as a, as a group um how much were you learning by getting to different territories or different regions uh, working with different guys, I, I would imagine that was probably pretty rewarding to your career. 
Uh, I would say so, yeah, because like a lot of guys, they get comfortable just wrestling their friends once a month in a bar, uh, never going outside the perimeter. And like they can start off very good and have all kinds of potential, but they just have, they just hit a peak so early and they never progress from there. Uh, how you're going to progress is traveling, uh, being in new locker rooms, working new people. Um, like there's a certain magic to just, you meet a person for the first time, you've never even heard of them and you have a phenomenal match with them. Like that's what really makes you a better wrestler. And also wrestling against guys that aren't very good and trying to pull a good match of them, <laughs> that also makes you a very good wrestler. I feel bad for everyone who ever wrestled me. Cause I was the guy who wasn't very good, but I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to notice it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, those are those are the worst. Who who would you say you've had your best in ring match with? <sighs> mm, that's a. I don't know about my best match, but I will say my probably my top two opponents would be Silas Young and Mentalo. Like those guys are just handmade for me. Uh, I'm just so comfortable in the ring with them, and it seems like every time we lock up, it's just. I deliver, you know? Two very different styles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One but, they both, but they both suit me very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's just it's funny you mentioned that you two different guys like that, and, and they do work very different styles, but they seem to mesh well with you. That's, that's interesting. Well, I, I suppose one was with me as a face and one was with me as a heel, so that might be the difference maker there. Gotcha. How do you like working? Do you prefer to be a face or do you prefer to be a heel? No, I prefer to be a heel hands down. Like it's so hard to make people like you when you don't really want to be liked. <laughs> yeah. You are a natural baby face as a person though. Like you are a nice guy as a person. How can it be that hard to translate that into wrestling, being in the ring and making them get behind you? Being a baby face is easy. I, I was a much better baby face than a heel. I did both. And I could get over as both, believe it or not. But the sympathy aspect, if you can bump and sell, you can get over as a baby face. If you have any kind of charisma at all, as long as you're willing to bump and sell, the people will get behind you. I, I feel like I was a good baby face when I was younger, but I just, I reached a point when my heart just wasn't into it and I didn't, I didn't believe what I was doing. And that translates to an audience. You know, if, if you don't believe what you're doing, then why should the audience? He's gotten crotchety with his age. So... Okay. Let, <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting old and bitter. Yeah. yeah. So you're just sitting back. Okay. I'm picturing this. When I broke in in 95, I saw this a lot. So picture, let's say, bad boy Brian Jewell. Do you, do you know Brian Jewell? Yeah, I've met him a couple times. Okay. So Brian Jewell would show up and he would either light up a smoke in the dressing room and just sit there and just, he can't be bothered because when that bell rings, he knows what he's going to do. So he's smoking, smoking. Sometimes you'll see him go outside to smoke. Maybe he's got a couple brewskis in his bag. He is not going to do anything more than he needs to do because when that bell rings, he's going to be the best Brian Jewell he can be in there. Ain't no doubt about it. And then there's the young guys, like you just described, who are sitting there going, God, when I get out of that curtain, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get a pop. I'm going to pander to the crowd. I'm going to make sure that they really like me. I'm not going to smoke. I'm going to make sure my cardio is good. Is that, am I right? The difference between young Tommy Lee Curtis and Brian Jewell, you have now become bad boy Brian Jewell. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. And 
uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe a sidebar, maybe an appropriate thing, just because, uh, you have you probably haven't mentioned Adam Knight yet this week, have you? Uh, <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Well, this this is I like Adam Knight. I will preface this by saying that. So do okay, I. I love last, the man. Uh, yes. Yes. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Best small package in the business. Yes. Um. Uh. Okay. The last Winnipeg show that I did for Danny, there was a bunch of old timers that came to hang around, and I won't mention their names because you know I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything like that, but they were all sitting there bullshitting about the old times and they just had their little circle. And then there was all the young guys sitting in their circle, just so optimistic and so full of spunk and all this stuff. And then I'm like, Oh God, I don't want a part of any of these. And then I kind of walk around the corner and there is Adam Knight sitting at the top of the stairs all by himself. And I texted Danny afterwards and I said, you know what's sad? In about five years' times, I'm going to want to be Adam Knight out of any of these guys. Just <laughs> kind of sitting, sitting at the top of the stairs all by myself. I'm dying. I'm literally dying here right now. Okay, I need to know. Did anybody go up to Adam Knight and say, have you listened to the Total She show? Is that why he was at the top of the stairs? I I can't answer that. Oh. What I'm saying is I, I kind of related more to him than those old guys sitting in the corner reliving the old days, talking about a show in Churchill somewhere. <laughs> okay, but here's the problem. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. So why wasn't Adam Knight with his friends that were in the old-timer circle? Was he worried he was going to get painted? He's in, the, he's, in the, he's in limbo. He's not one of those young Yes, pups, he is. Uh, not jaded. <laughs> and he's not one of those old-timers reliving. He's in He's still in in the middle, and that's kind of where I feel I am now, too. Okay, so let me ask you this now. Now that we've gone on the sidebar about our good friend, Adam Knight, who I have immense respect for, what did you think of his promos, and what did you think of my critiques of his promos? (laughs) (laughs) Tread carefully. Tread carefully. Yeah. Uh, Let's see if I have my water wings here. Um, Well, no, I think you were fairly accurate in your uh, assessment. Um, and Chris, I believe you say too, that his, his content was good, but it was his delivery that was very lackluster, right? Right. That's what I said. Yeah. Okay. I will agree with that. And then I will also say that when you say he should have said this, that's a fucking good promo that you cut just on the spot as him. right? (laughs) Exactly. Well, the one thing he said wrong in the promo on Sam James Roth, whichever one it is, Sam or James there, I think they're brothers actually, um, was that he said, I'm the one who does the stepping up. And I'm like, I, I really thought that that was a bad end of the promo because who are you stepping up on? You've been around 25, almost, almost 30 years. Right. But we don't have to critique yeah. his promo. It's good to have feedback from, cause we are on the same page here, Tommy Lee Curtis, because we both love Adam Knight. We want the best for Adam Knight. Though part of the reason why I talk as much about him as I do in, on the show is because I still think there's a lot more that Adam Knight can do as a top guy on the local scene. And the more we talk about him, the more people, it's going to make people want to see him on those shows. And the thing about Knight is this, and you've probably seen it for your entire career. If he likes you, he is very generous when he re- works with you. He will always go the extra mile to make you look good. He will also try to help you if he sees you doing something that you could do better. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wrestled him one time and uh, we had just like a really nice, easy match where we kind of built to that big Andre body slam at the end and we got a huge pop and then we went home shortly after that. And he said, you know, if I could have that match seven days a week, I would. And 
Who, like he, he was he was great in the ring and very easy to work with. And he, he's a great talent. So the whole buildup of the match was him body slamming you? No, me body slamming him. <laughs> I wouldn't let him body slam me. Jeez, I've got merch to sell. There I'm you kidding. Go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, you, you do go on a tirade all the time about guys out at the merch table. I am one guy that you will never see out there. So you kind of understand it, right? That there is a value to the fans not seeing you until the first time when you go out to cut the promo or when you go out for your match, you'll get an authentic pop if they haven't already spent time with you working them to try to get money out of them, right? Absolutely, and there's a bit more of a mystique to your character that way as well. And plus, I'm generally a heel nowadays as well, so I'm not going to go out there and get as much heat as I can and then go to the merch table and babyface everyone. And it's it's not really in my nature to try, because you, you have to be a bit of a used car salesman at the merch table, <laughs> yeah. and that's just not in my nature. As you can tell, I'm probably not doing a good job selling myself right now. Oh, no, you're doing a very good job of selling yourself, actually. Yeah, I, you're doing great. Yeah. No, I'm lo- I'm loving this because there's a couple things that we're getting from this. You are the first guest that's gone that is taking bringing up things that we talked about on the show, f- opening up the debate. Other than AJ Sanchez brought it up about the merch table and non exclusivity, and also you're you're opening it up so that people can hear what actual conversations I have about Adam Knight as opposed to just when Chris and I are are bees cheesing. So I love that you're doing a wonderful job. Um, Next up, let's go back to you because we've that was fun. But how did you go from being the guy that's a road warrior with Danny, not as Animal and Hawk, but going on the on long road trips to get dates, uh, wrestling dates, obviously? <laughs> and how did you go to become a guy who's ready to carry the torch as a top guy like you are right now at Cloud Nine? Well, there obviously was a middle point there. Um, I kept my skit. As you say, me and Danny were pretty much married on the road for a really long time. And I believe it was at a certain point when I I just wasn't believing in his vision anymore, of CWE that is. And I just, I didn't like the way things were going. And I kind of distanced myself a little bit and I started uh, seeking outside bookings on my own without Danny um, because full, full transparency here uh, in those earlier years, Danny got me a ton of bookings. Like he really did. Yeah. But at the same time, because I was associated with him, I lost a lot of bookings because they weren't friendly with Danny. Right. Yeah. So I got a lot of bookings, but it also cost me an equal amount of book. Wow. Political. So when I, yeah. So when I started branching out on my own, I started going down to mine on. This was a big one. Yep. Uh, and there was a promotion down there called FLW, a fully loaded wrestling, and they were running double shots pretty much every month. And it was a place like that where I could work because they, they brought in guys from all over. Like I worked guys from Australia, Chicago, uh, Minnesota, obviously. Uh, just, you name it. I wrestled guys from all over there and I just was really hitting my stride. And at this point I was also going down to, this was still with Danny though, uh, steel domain wrestling in Minnesota. Yep. And I got uh, very familiar with the Minnesota scene, got booked all over there. And when you start, when you start just hitting this stride and you start getting more confident and your character work comes together and you just, you really just naturally elevate to a different level uh, 
it, it, it's just a very organic thing. It's not just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a main eventer today. No, it doesn't happen that way. It just comes from putting in the work, believing in yourself and getting over basically. It's very true. Um, but a lot of locals will make the mistake of thinking that all they have to do is walk up to the booker and say, yeah, I'm going to be the main yeah. eventer today. <laughs> uh, yeah, sadly, I think that is a common occurrence. In Winnipeg. Well, maybe not anymore, but yeah. Um, can I get a push? Um, Hey, am I in line for a strap? Can I talk to you for a minute? I, I don't want to talk about my payoff, but is there any way like I could work like semi-main? I used to get that one a lot. Guy would pull me aside. He'd say, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'd be like, uh, we've already agreed on payoff. It's not about my payoff. Okay. What do you want to know? Um, so is, I, is there any way we could, sh- you know, work the lineup a little bit and maybe I could work in the semi-main? I, I, I know you already have the main event worked out, but could I, can I do semi? And, and the problem was the semi-main is often the booker spot for not a very, it's usually not an angle and it's usually not a, a big match. It's usually a spot that brings them down so that the main event can bring them back yeah. up. But guys would make that mistake. They thought it was the vice main event spot and they, and they were excited for that. Um, so you've probably experienced that, have you not? Well, I, well, that's one of the things that I uh, told guys at Cloud9 that if you're not happy with your spot or how you're being booked, don't bitch about it. Don't ask about it. Do something in the ring about it. You have to go out there and make yourself undeniable. You don't just ask. You make yourself undeniable so that you don't have to ask and you give that promoter or that booker no choice. Very good point. Very, very good point. And I can remember when, when I was wrestling that people would complain about having the opening match, right? And and I had a promoter tell me, he's like, hey, look, the opening match, you're setting the tone for the entire show. That's a good damn match. And it, it sort of changed my perspective on that. I, I wonder if you have any perspective on that. No, I feel the exact same way. I feel like the opening match is very crucial because it sets the pace for the whole show. If you have a really bad opening match, guess what? That the entire vibe of the show is just going to be tarnished, and the guys have to, like, especially if you have the first two, three matches that are bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to get them back yeah. after that. Absolutely. Okay, so Cloud Nine, heavyweight champion of the world, Tommy World Lee. heavyweight champion. Well, all right, all right, all right. Um, you're you're the top guy of a company that's drawing almost one percent of the population of the city of Minot. Very, very impressive in wrestling. <laughs> it doesn't sound very impressive. <laughs> it's realistic. Well, okay, think about Winnipeg, 700,000. To draw 1%, you got to draw seven, you got to draw 700 or 7,000. Do the math don't, there. Don't look at me. Come You're on, on, Dr. On Luther Jr. You're on the limb here. Okay, anyway. You, you went on the limb doing the you, math. Either way, okay, when yeah. you put it like that, yes, it's one, very good. If you, can, if you can draw 1% of a town to your show, you're doing okay, trust me. Anyway, so what's the magic? Hold on, hold on here. You just made a thought go in my head, though, that my entire life passion and everything that I care about appeals to less than 1% of the population, I would be happy if 1% of the population came to see me wrestle. That's a little depressing. <laughs> well, I, okay, let me put it in the context for you. I was doing some some work for a client this week, and I realized 10% of the population are criminals, and they shoplift. So you think about 1% of the population wants to support independent wrestling, 
you know, like it, when you put it into that context, it's not that one for every hundred people you come into, will you come across, will buy a ticket to support local wrestling. That's not bad at all. Well, when you put it that way, when we did the rest and fair show here, uh, we have a population of about 600, almost 700 now. Yeah. And uh, more people just kept coming as the show progressed. And yeah. by the end, we had 250 people there. So that's, you know, one third of the population. Yeah, but that's, you, that was pretty good. A good promoter says half the town was there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you're, if you're one of those people that shoplifts, take that stuff that you shoplift, sell it. And buy a ticket to Cloud9 Wrestling. Do not encourage shoplifting ever again. <laughs> I will get a new host tomorrow if you... Weirdest, weirdest sales pitch I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, so now, Cloud9 oh. Wrestling, tell me what makes Cloud9 special, other than it's the guys from Nebraska, the guys from Minnesota, the guys from Manitoba. What is it that's made it special that people are coming to check it out? Okay. Um, uh, how far do I want to open up about this? Well, anyway, you kind of mentioned it on the show before that I am the co-owner of that company. And <laughs> what, Didn't you tell I, me to sh- kayfabe when uh, I did that? I know, but you have mentioned it before. But either way, um, I do business with a family down there. And there's the two brothers that are wrestlers. And they are, you know, legitimately over in that town. Like They are the Hulk Hogan's of that town. So basically, we're promoting like the Vaughn Ericks of Minot. Can I stop you for one second? Are you stealing a plot line from the TV show Heels and applying it to Cloud9 Wrestling? I never actually watched that, no. Okay, okay. I'm telling you the the real life story. Maybe they copied off. Yeah, I think they ripped you off. Okay, keep going. Okay. Uh, Well, they'll hear from my attorney, but anyway. And then uh, their mother is a, not a heart on the eyes, very attractive businesswoman. So she has a lot of good connections down there. Her sons are good looking young wrestlers and I've got my vast experience from, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel all over Canada, several places in the United States. I've been in a lot of locker rooms. So I know what guys do right. And I know what guys do wrong. And we apply that there. And it's a very almost, um, Southern territory type crowd. Like they're not traditional wrestling fans, but they just, they're passionate and they're very passionate about cloud nine and we're building one fan at a time. And that's kind of what you have to do when you get that person in the door for the first time, they might not be a wrestling fan, but by the time they leave, they are a cloud nine wrestling fan. You had me sold when you described the mom and if she needs an associate, (laughs) She can contact me, and you now have a new fan in Cloud9 Wrestling because now I need to travel to Minot to meet mom. That's amazing. Yes. Tommy Lee Curtis, how can people find you on social media, and what should they do to follow you? Well, you know what? I would just say follow Cloud9 Wrestling. Don't worry too much about me. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Cloud9 Wrestling. Our Instagram and Twitter is at C9 Wrestling. And we will have brand new episodes of Cloud9 TV coming up on YouTube this Saturday. So look forward I to I love those. it. Unselfish. He plugs the company. Yeah, for a guy who claims to be a heel, you just did the ultimate baby face sell. <laughs> well, he, heels are very unselfish in reality, if you think about it. Like, they just 
bead for the face most of the match. Yes. They usually, you know, they try a good heel shouldn't hit their fancy shit, right? They should really <laughs> dumb their offense down. You have to be very unselfish to be a good heel. And I think maybe that's why I feel I'm a better heel than a face because I'm not. You have to be selfish to be a very good baby face. There you go. Tommy Lee Curtis, you are now officially one of my favorite guests ever because you definitely have listened to the episodes and applied what I have said <laughs> to your career, and that makes you a hero in my eyes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You, oh, hold on here. Okay. You told, me if I had, you told me if I had a funny story to tell you. Yes, please. Well, I do. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will make this as quick as possible. I could tell you about the time that I wrestled New Jack because I guarantee I'm the only wrestler who has, but I have an even better story than that. Okay. Okay. And obviously I'm alive, so <laughs> I didn't make it on that dark side of the ring episode. Okay. So I talked about working for RCW. Um, this was, hmm, I want to say like 2012-ish, okay? So this is when Squig started making that transition and using good talent to becoming a legitimate promotion. Um, and myself, Danny, I think occasionally Tyler Colton, a revolving revolving door, but I think mainly me and Danny were going out there every single month. And Teddy Hart came home, and he just magically showed up at the show one day. And lo and behold, next month I'm in a tag match. Me and Heavy Metal were teaming at the time uh, against Teddy Hart and one of the Stampede guys, Pete Wilson. Oh yes. And <laughs> well, that well. That match was something in itself, <laughs> but uh, that's something else that makes you a good worker is when you're in there with someone the caliber of Teddy Hart, you better bring your A game if you want to keep up with a guy like that, right? So that, it made me better, but at the same time, we entered this six-month-long feud with Teddy, and as you can imagine, it wasn't all butterflies and rainbows. I got a lot of good stories out of it, but this is one of them, um, but the payoff was going to be the, uh, a big six-man tag where we were going to bring in Sabu to team with Teddy against me and Metal and a surprise partner of ours. And I was getting very frustrated with Squig because, you know, trans was short or my payoff was short. And, you know, like, this is a long way to travel and there's always something wrong, you know. And you're working Teddy and he's just a wild card. <laughs> And, but so I was getting very, very discontent with this and I wanted, I wanted out, I wanted to take a break, but I was a big ECW mark growing up. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finish this angle until the payoff because I want Sabu to put me through a table. <laughs> that, that was it. Okay. Yep. So here we go. Month after month, we're building to this. We finally get there, the big payoff. And then we get word that Sabu overdosed at the Chicago airport and he was sent to the hospital. <laughs> oh. So Sabu was not coming, but they brought in Kid Cash as his replacement, which I guess was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so regardless, we're still here at the big payoff, six-man tag. It is Teddy Hart, Kid Cash, and Andrew Hawks against myself, Heavy Metal, and our mystery partner, Bruce Hart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Um, so... As I mentioned, Teddy's a bit of a wild card and his mind wanders and all that kind of stuff. So we're trying to structure this big six-man tag the best way we can. And it's hard because you're trying to 
remember and put together your stuff, but you also have to put Teddy's stuff in there. And while you're out there, you have to keep him on track because sometimes he will just take you in a direction that you're not supposed to go and you have no choice but to go with him. So you're trying to put all that together. And then there's Bruce who shows up in his cowboy boots, his jeans, and his leather jacket. And he's like, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, I assume that like there's some kind of animosity between um, like me and Teddy. And that's why you guys um, would bring me in for this. It's like, well, that's exactly it. Bruce. We, we have this big six month angle. We're eating it up. We're going to hit him where it hurts. And we're going to bring in his uncle as our tag team partner. Like, yeah, I just, okay. I, I need to understand that like, um, you know, <laughs> And, and he did not give a flying fudge about <laughs> what we were going to do in the match as far as moves or structure or anything like that. All he cared about was what his relationship with Teddy <laughs> at the time was. Because he, we we're trying to like, all right, Teddy, now you do a double backflip off the top and hit us with a double DDT. And then you pick me up for that power bomb on your knees. And then Bruce is like, yeah, yeah. So like, when you're doing that, I need to like, am I looking at Teddy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're, that, that's, that's what's happening, right? Yes. And then once we get kind of everything sorted out, all of a sudden Teddy comes up to us. He's like, guys, Bruce just come up with a great idea. <laughs> what, if, what if halfway through the match, Angie, who is Ted, Teddy's sister, Angie comes down to the ring and she's got a, a cell phone and she shows a text message to Bruce and it's a text from Owen in heaven saying that he's fighting on the wrong side. Oh no. (laughs) And and when he sees that text from Owen in heaven, that's when he realizes that he's made a mistake and he turns on you guys and joins me. Oh Oh, no. I am loving this story. How did you get around that? Well, you get it, of course. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so owen sent the text and 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 saved the heart family of course no <laughs> i just have to i have to say that for a better story but no we just disregarded that How, however it happened me and metal are kind of forced oh sorry once the match is starting uh bruce is just standing on the apron looking like he would rather be anywhere else in the world right <laughs> like, okay and then all of a sudden I've, i'm doing a little heat on andrew hawks and then all of a sudden sudden i feel this smack on my back and it's bruce and he tagged himself in <laughs> and i saw a literal light switch go off his eyes switched he went in the ring and beat the living fuck out of andrew hawks and he would not tag out he was <laughs> murdering him <laughs> And we could not get him back out of the ring. <laughs> so you've got Bruce doing this, Teddy going off on his reel. It was, uh, Teddy started throwing water everywhere. It was unbelievable chaos. And then we eventually tell Bruce, uh, so you got to hit Teddy, you got to hit Teddy. And we're forcing him to do something he doesn't want to do. And then he turns on us, he gives uh, metal the flying clothesline, and then he starts boot kicking the shit out of me with those cowboy boots <laughs> oh and man with that stuff and then i got uh i got pinned by kid cash and i left and i don't even, i think the match went on for 20 more minutes after that so so bruce was supposed to turn on you or this just happened in the midst of this chaos 
the, the idea was for Bruce to turn on us, but their idea was to have it because of the text message from Owen. Yeah, That's which I think you should have done, actually. Which, which, for, which for story's sake, we'll say did happen. Yes, yes. So she came out with the text, and then and then it touched Bruce in the heart. What an amazing <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my so God. I, I might I as well leave you off with that, because I don't think I can talk. That is amazing. Tommy Lee Curtis, you are now my favorite guest. It's six months of Total Beaches. You're the best guest yet. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, no, it was good. Hey, Beaches listeners, Steve Rosenthal here from Powertown. As the managing partner and co-founder of Powertown Wrestling, I just wanted to let you know that our Series 1, which includes figures of the iconic Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Magnum T.A., Kerry Von Erich, Vern Gagne, and Luthez are now available for pre-order at PowertownWrestling.com. The figures are $45 each with bundles available. Each 7-inch scale ultra figure is also showcased with personalized accessories, ringwear, and championship belts. The unique book-like packaging delves into the lives and careers of the wrestlers in this series. Since our inception, we have made it our mission to celebrate the wrestlers that built this sport, and we are so excited to be able to share these figures with collectors and fans around the world. This is just the beginning for us, so be sure to follow us everywhere at Powertown Wrestling on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter. There's much more to come from Powertown, where wrestling lives on. And now it's time for the Mary Brown's Mailbag. Mary Brown's Crave Delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba grown potatoes hand cut in store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. We're digging into the Mary Brown's mailbag this week uh, on Twitter. By the way, if you want to get your question to us, you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. And this one's coming from, guess who? Superfan Dave Cote. He used the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. What are your thoughts on CM Punk's impact on wrestling history? That almost sounded like Wayne Stanton. (laughs) Um, I think he's a coward. I've never seen CM Punk as a as the biggest deal in the business, ever. And CM Punk in the 90s when wrestling was really hot would have been a little bit bigger than mid-card. That's always how I look at it. Roman Reigns would have been a top guy today and in 1996, 97. Any era. Yeah. Yeah. And... Brock Lesnar would have been a top guy in 1996 or 97 without question. Um, And Scott Hall and Kevin Nash would have been top guys today. And Hogan would have been a top guy today. And The Rock and Austin. So that's definitely a lower tier. Where CM Punk's legacy or his impact would have been interesting is what would he have been like if he could have worked a Bret Hart and had yes. an angle like a, yeah. with a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels um, or even a Kurt Angle. I don't think he, he didn't get an angle with Kurt Angle. 
Angle was Kurt Angle. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to say that although Punk had a great impact on on um, AEW, and he will again, because I know what I know and you disagree, but Punk is a great a great asset to have if you want national appeal. He will move the needle with viewers and draw pay-per-view buy rates. He is a second tier in terms of a legendary. He is not, he would not have been a huge, he would not have been anywhere near top of the card in 1996, seven or eight. I, I agree with that. I think he, uh, his impact on the business would be stick to for people to, uh, just watching. He's a guy who got over against a lot of odds. He was not a guy that was ever seen to your point as a guy that could move the needle or could be the top guy. And he went out and did it anyways. It took him a good portion of his career to do so. So I would think, I just think he's sort of the energizer bunny of wrestling. He keeps going and uh, yeah, that, that would be, that'd be about it for me. And he's a little bit stubborn and yeah. he's a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you want to talk about like legacy, yeah. He's going to have a legacy of a guy who's stubborn, who, who digs in his heels, who wants what he wants and will yeah. not budge. When I was a booker, WFX, PCW, that's the range right? From local to something that was trying to be national guys that wanted to work and, and be a part of something got further than guys that wanted it for themselves. Maybe he was a bit selfish, but that's what I'd say about him. All right, moving on. This one's from Joel coming in on our inbox. Joel says, what is your take on hardcore wrestling? And, uh, you want me to start? Okay, I, by the look on Mike's face, he wants me to start. Mike? I think you missed the second part of that question, actually. Joel actually, you missed the second sentence. Oh, yeah, yes. He says, what is the impact on, or what is my opinion on hardcore wrestling? And he said, who is my favorite hard, hardcore wrestler? That's right, that's right. Okay, so I'll, I'll start off. Uh, my take on hardcore wrestling is it has its place. It shouldn't be everywhere. It shouldn't be every part of every week. It should be something to blow off a really hot angle. Um, as for who I liked, uh, I don't watch any hardcore wrestling now because it's kind of gotten a little bit too far for me. Like the Nick Gage stuff is a little bit too much for me with the pizza cutter. That's, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. Uh, I used to watch, I'll just go with Cactus Jack, for example, some of his death matches in Japan and Terry Funk and the, the guys over there. I watched a lot of the Japan stuff because that was kind of part of my training was to watch videos. So uh, I would say probably Mick Foley, his stuff in Japan. If you were starting your wrestling career today, I would strongly advise you to become a hardcore wrestler as opposed to try to become a technician because you've told me before that you um, it you loved wrestling but it didn't love you and you, and whether it was coordination or whether it was conditioning or something you were missing and it stopped you from being excelling. Now my experience with hardcore wrestling is guys that could not do five star classics, whether it be that they just couldn't you know they they, they couldn't make it flow and they couldn't make it magic they often resorted to hardcore to make to create a spot on a show for themselves yeah because it was easy to do you just have to hit each other with objects and and take the pain and you and you get the ooh and ah factor hardcore wrestling had its place i've been on shows where a hardcore match really lit the crowd on yeah lit them up and i've been on shows where promoters let it happen too much and it's law of diminishing returns yes right so I've never been a big hardcore wrestling guy, but I'll tell you this. If I was running a show right now and I could get Leatherface 
Rick Patterson, not yep. Mike Kirshner who passed away, but uh, Leatherface, that character yeah. with that chainsaw, with that, because it ties into like the character from the movie so well. In fact, the wrestling character does it better than the character in the movie. I would say that's the guy that would make people go, wow. And that's what you want in hardcore. You want people to say wow and watch and have no idea what they're going to see, but it's almost like watching a car accident or watching a, it's a human massacre. Right. Um, so that's what I would say. Leatherface is the guy for me in terms of hardcore wrestling. And, and the way it would be done is it would be done with, as an attraction, very rarely to really wow the people that are, that are into that and then make them want it more and don't give it to them for a long while. Hardcore wrestling never really was a thing that, like when it was done regularly, it never got, it never did it for me. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Your number one hardcore wrestler in Canada, Canadian hardcore wrestler. Well, you know that Leatherface is a Winnipeg guy, right? I do know that, but he didn't really do much of the hardcore stuff in Canada, did he? Well, he showed up as a guest star in... I don't know if he did top rope. He was doing Tony Candelo's shows in the late nineties, in the mid nineties. He'd show up occasionally, even at Chalmers community. Okay. So let's set him aside. Who would be number two then? Uh, Canadian. Yeah. Oh, you could go local. You could go indie. You didn't need to be a big guy. I dare you not to spring this on me. Moondog Manson. That's a good, that's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Moondog Manson. I'd say, you know, massive damage was okay. You know, a guy who could do it, but he was so gifted as a technical wrestler. He's a really a complete package. He's going to be a guest on the show eventually. It's Robbie Royce. Yeah. He, if he had, when he did it, he, but the, there, the problem with hardcore wrestling when guys do it is that they always believe they got to get color. And there's a lot of people that are, don't like blood and guts. They yeah. there. And there are people that love it, but I think blood and guts in a title match at the 18 minute mark to, to put a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A peril on the baby face or, yeah. or to make the heel look like he can be beatable or that's when blood works. I don't think blood for the sake of blood always works in wrestling. I agree with you. That's exactly what I was going to say. Blood is really a garnish. It's not the main course. <laughs> don't don't talk about it as a food thing. People don't want to think of it like <laughs> that. Um, I did want to say something before we finished. That's the conclusion of the mail, but Mary, Mary Brown's mailbag. Okay. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I said when we had Greg on that I was going to grade all of the Wrestle Rock Rumble stars and and i have worked on that and i also said i was going to conclude the wfx story and i've left people hanging on that people are like they're they're mentioning it there's been so much stuff going on we've had such great guests like tommy lee curtis today davy boy smith jr greg gagne shane madison was amazing that was probably the most feedback we got from a guest so bear with us like i don't want this podcast to go two hours and or three hours I'm already asking, and I'm so appreciative of the people that make the hour and 15 or the hour and 10 or today might be a little bit long to make that time for us. Just know those stories, we're going to get to them. We're going to have a lot of fun with them, but thank you for giving us an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes to just be she's with you for once a week. It is very, very flattering to me. It is an honor for me to have you listen and I'm very appreciative to the people who are listening. So thank you very much and bear with us. The stories you want to hear, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, hit us up on, on the Facebook page. 
Email us at totalbeauties at gmail. Trust me, we do listen. I am the worst for not having a format and coming in and just telling Chris, we're going to talk about this because it's more natural when I do that than if I plan for three days to talk about stuff. So thank you. Keep sending us the feedback to all the great people who are loyal to the Total Beauties show. I am so appreciative. If you want your Powertown figures, get them before October 31st. That's the cutoff for the early order. I don't know if that means the price goes up or if that means it's going to be difficult to get certain figures or whatever, but October 31st is the deadline, so get your order in for the Powertown figures. Stan Hansen, Magnum TA, Vern Gagne, Luthez, Kerry Von Erich, and who am I missing? Magnum? Stan? Bruiser Brody. Bruiser Brody. There you go. And Glenn Goza... There you go. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post. And the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Erics can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R A S S L I N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called and friend. She could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling. Really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late, I'm going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. 
Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon? 